If you care about culture at all, this episode is for you. And one thing that many schools are faced with, right, are challenged with, and even in the fall, you should be thinking, right, about retaining your staff and attracting new awesome members aligned with your values and vision and mission. How do you do that? Well, to be quite honest, today's episode's a masterclass on that topic. I took a ton of notes. I'm telling you that right now on what I learned from Dr. Lisa Stanley. I think you'll learn a lot around culture as well. The last thing I'll say, and this might be unpopular, but culture isn't found in the in all the cute like candy bar type activities I see on social media. It's not about donuts. Uh, food is important. Food is a great thing to gather people around. But it's not a sustainable way that you can show appreciation and build culture. I mean, it's it's really a transaction. It's like, okay, you teach well and now you get food, right? Or you do this and now we get food to celebrate you. Culture is really found in consistency. And culture that sees people and hears people and adjusts, right, in terms of service, that's the best kind of culture to build. And you're going to learn a lot of practical things that you can do to make that happen. So get excited because I'm thrilled to bring you today's main conversation. Hey, I'm Danny, the Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. I'm a principal development and retention expert. I'm a best-selling author. I host two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you've made three choices. You've committed to your continuous growth, You've committed to challenging the status quo, and you have committed to designing the future of school now. And we'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. As a principal with so much to do, you might be thinking constantly, where do I even start? It's a good question. And that's why I created a 12-month principal checklist just for you. When you download it for free, you're going to get a 12-month checklist that identifies general tasks that every campus will want to do each month. But the checklist also includes space where you can write campus-specific items and two opportunities to reflect, to reflect on what worked and what you want to continue doing and what didn't work and what you want to change or improve. When you take action on this checklist for a year, you will have built a leadership playbook for your school and you won't have to reinvent the wheel or feel like a first-year principal all over again. Go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash principal dash checklist to download for free right now. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as a part of Leading Learning, a brand new Certificate of School Management and Leadership course from Harvard. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. How would you like to increase student talk by an average of 40%? More student ownership, more student discourse. Check it out for yourself by trying out TeachFX. Go to teachfx.com forward slash betterleaders to pilot their program today. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder 
have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. All right. Hey, Ruckus Makers. Here I am with Dr. Lisa Stanley. And I'm a reader by one in just a second, but you know, I've always been really impressed about these like really encouraging and thought-provoking posts that I see. We met on Facebook, right? Like, you know, a lot of us meet in these social networks. And something else that I just really admired, and we're going to get into this in the, in the main topic of the conversation. I remember Dr. Stanley talking about interesting things they do within their system so that teachers are attracted to come and they stay, they don't leave. And in today's day and age, in terms of education, retaining staff, retaining leaders is so, so important. So that's just like to get you excited for what we're going to talk about. Now for the bio, Dr. Lisa Stanley is the superintendent of North Texas Collegiate Academy, which is a public charter school district in Denton County, Texas. Dr. Stanley received her certificate in school management and leadership from Harvard Graduate School of Education, one of our sponsors, by the way, and was among the first 100 superintendents in the U.S. to earn national superintendent certification and is a member of Southern Methodist University's District Leadership Fellows 21-22 cohort. Her focus on improving teacher retention in high-poverty schools has created a sustainable teacher pipeline with 93% of staff returning every year and 45% staying with the district for at least five years. Dr. Stanley, welcome to this show. Thank you. It's great to join you today. I look forward to our talk. Yeah, well, here we are. And I, I've, been, I've been looking forward to this show for quite a while, as you can see from the smile on my face. And... Uh, I want to I want to start with a text message you received. It was during the pandemic and it really was a paradigm shifter for you. And I don't know that I've ever received a text that was like that for me, but can you bring us to that moment and tell us about the text? Sure. We had and I've been with this district 22 years so you kind of almost get complacent and you feel like I've seen and heard everything that you know it could possibly be presented, but no we haven't because then all of a sudden this global pandemic um, hits. And so we immediately, our leadership team and our um, administrators hit the ground running on creating a virtual platform. How can we keep our kids engaged you know, in the midst of this pandemic? How can we make sure that our families have all the support they need through the school, keep up all of the, you know, special education services and all, everything was focused on how can we serve our kids the best way in this pandemic? And we got a text message from a teacher who said, You've rolled out all of these devices and hotspots to every family. I can't teach virtually because I don't have internet at my house. Yeah. And I thought, shame on me. The first thing should have been, the first question should have been, what do we need to do for our teachers during this time? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's no school without the kids. It's all about the kids. But if you don't take care of the teachers first, they can't take care of our kids. And it just literally was like, this, you know, the lightning bolt moment in your life where you're like, I've been focused, not that focusing on kids is the wrong thing. It's absolutely the right thing. But right. in tandem with that, we have to focus on those who are educating our kids a hundred percent. And for us to have spent hours and hours, literally 24 hours a day, creating an incredible plan to serve our kids during this pandemic, 
and we forgot about. Do the teachers have all the tools they need? Not just the device and the hotspot, but are they parenting three or four other younger children at home while they're trying to also teach virtually because now their daycare is closed and their kids' school are closed? Yeah. A reasonable work schedule for them. We, ad- we were able to address all those concerns, but they were secondary and they should have never been secondary. Your primary focus has to be the heartbeat of your schools, which is your teachers. Um, so right there in the midst of pandemic was kind of an eye-opening shift for me of do everything you can for the kids, but do even more for the teachers. You have to do more for the teachers. Yeah, I love that. And I'm aligned with it too. You know, I, I think about football and they talk about like players, coaches, right? And I think as a principal, you need to be like a teacher's principal or a superintendent, be a teacher's and a principal's, you know, superintendent. That's not at the expense of the students. That's why we do what we do. But by taking care of them, right, there's an overflow of energy, abundance, like goodwill, positivity. And uh, that that then impacts the students. So you had the wake up call, you had this text message. And I don't know if you have a story. It's okay if you don't. But since then, with other initiatives that you've introduced in your system, how has that been a helpful reminder, right? Like, has, what have you done that's been teacher first since you had that experience? Well, it's kind of driven uh, everything that we do um, since that day. Because even before COVID, we were experiencing some situations where we were literally begging, you know, we need interviews, we need applicants. Our, our resume pool was not very deep sometimes. Um, but when COVID mm. hit, pools all across you know, the, the globe, not just even here in Texas or just in the States, we're scrambling for teachers. And now we, we've realized every single situation needs teacher fingerprints all over it. Every decision we make, need, I'm ultimately at the end of the day decide, yes, this is a, a go for us or no, this is not a go for us with the help of our board. But our teachers have to have their fingerprints on every decision we make. So um, even like we, we just within the last two years, adopted the new social emotional learning platform. So we asked for volunteer teachers to serve on a committee to vet which SEL programs and, um, you know, the front-facing curriculum that we were going to use, what did they want? And they spent six months of voluntary time, not getting any extra stipends or anything, really vetted in picking the best program because they're going to have to lead it. So when we rolled the new SEL program out, their fingerprints were all over it. We spent a lot of time asking teachers, what is it that you need from us to do your job best? And you have to assume positive intent. Even if the teacher doesn't have the best test scores or their data is not moving the direction you want, assume positive intent that that teacher's coming to work every day wanting to be successful. They come to work every day wanting to see every child succeed. But have we given them the tools that they need? Have we given them the training and the professional development they need? So a lot of conversations with teachers, literally just one-on-one teach with teachers, because they don't always do it in a group, right? People don't always support a big group of a hundred other teachers raising their hands saying, I don't understand the new ESL curriculum, or I need more training on how to use document camera. They don't feel comfortable with that. So we do a lot of very informal conversations where we say, we're here to serve you. As a superintendent, I'm not a public supervisor. I'm a public servant. I'm here to serve you. So all of the decisions ultimately may be made at the district level, but the teacher should drive that and their fingerprints should be all over it. And then there's more buy-in. They had a voice and a choice in everything that we did. So really that time during COVID just changed all of our focus on you still do what's best for kids, but if you don't do what's best for teachers and they don't feel like their voice or their choice mattered, 
they're not going to buy in. And then when the next best offer comes up, they're going to be at the district down the road or at the corporate office or somewhere else. And we need to keep the best teachers in the class. Our kids deserve for us to do whatever we have to, to keep the best teachers with them. Yeah. Well, let's let's go to that topic of retention because it is hot on everybody's mind, whether it's a superintendent leading a whole system or a principal thinking about his or her staff, right? And so I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the things that, that you've done uh, in your district to grow teacher retention? And what I wrote down from 65 to uh, 97%. But yeah, how, how did you increase it like that? That's amazing. Well, in the past, like most industries and most other districts, we always would send out an exit interview. You know, after you put in your resignation okay. and say you're going to go to the next, next district, we would say, well, what could we have done better? But it's too late at that point. Because your resignation sure. submitted, you're already committed somewhere else. So we started a few years ago conducting stay interviews. So what that looks like for us is it cost us nothing but a huge investment in time. So what it looks like for us is we go with every single staff member and we do these in December. It's very intentionally planned in December because we're almost finished with the first semester. By then, everybody's had, you know, about 15 to 18 weeks, you know, on so myself and then our director of school improvement, we sit with everyone individually for about a 10 to 15 minute meeting. Now for us, we have a staff of about 100, 115. So this is manageable, but it does take a couple of weeks. Yes. We start with teachers' aides, the administrators, the child nutrition workers, the teachers with everybody in December. And we just ask one question. We say, what do we need to do over the next semester to get you to stay with us for the next school year? Like, What do you sure. need from us? Just one question. And in the beginning, there wasn't a whole, I don't think they felt like there was a psychologically safe space for them to share. So a lot of people would say, oh, I'm fine. I'm definitely coming back. And then when contracts right. came out. Don't worry about me. <laughs> right. I'm like, hey, well, me in December, you're fine. So there, every campus, no matter how large or how small our campus is, you have some staff members who carry kind of more social credibility. Um, so if they believe and buy into something, other staff are going to start believing and buy because they carry that you know, um, sense of yeah. they're really respected by their peers. So right. we started strategically saying, let's go to the heavy hitters on the campus who carry that social credibility, who right. other staff to Let's call them in first and say, hey, what do we need to do for the next semester to make you want to stay for the next school year with us? And let them, because they are usually more transparent and they'll take risks and really talk openly. So sometimes they yeah. tell us things you don't want to hear, you know, like you're having too many faculty meetings. I need more support with my kiddos that have an IEP or, you know, things that are going to require more budget. You know, we got to find some more room in the budget for this. Or we got to change our master schedule for this. But when we are writing down and, re- and coming back and reporting to them, you know, we may not can do everything you've asked, but this is what we can do. They start telling their peers, you know what? They're actually listening. Like when you go to the mm-hmm. state interview, tell the truth because they're actually listening to yeah. you. Over the last couple of years, we've noticed that the state interviews, they come in with a list. Instead of sitting down and December saying, great, everybody's great. They'll say, actually, this is what I love about here. Don't ever change these things. Promise me that if right, I come back, you're right. never going to change these certain things that we do. And then promise me that you're going to work on these other couple of things because th- these are where my pain points are right now. Mm-hmm. And so we do that in December. I create a huge document. They kind of highlight all the common denominators that are mentioned. You know, there's some outliers. There's some things that are like one-offs that, you know, we can't give you seven planning periods a day, you know, things like that. But you find the common denominators. And then we go to our board in January and I meet with them. And I say, this is, you know, the big heavy hitter things that are being 
you know, mentioned over and over. And the standard is, what can we do to move this needle for the next year? So then in February, we come back and report back to the staff and we, it's an optional meeting. They don't have to sit through it, but about 95% of them choose to. So in February, we say, these are the things we're mentioning in stay interviews. We don't mention anyone's name. We just say, this is what the yeah. thing noticed in child nutrition staff. And this is what, you know, the campus administrative assistants have said. This is what teachers' aides have said. This is what teachers need. And we say, these are the things that we can do for you in the next year. We're going to start working on that over this semester. And then we promise you in the next school year, this is what we're going to do. And that has stopped a lot of the exit because we're addressing the pain points and the concerns and changing the pathway with in the areas that we can't, right? Because we can't do it all, but they're noticing that oh. we really do want to meet their needs. And what's really ironic to me is not one time in the three years that we've been doing meetings like this has someone said, I'm going to need more money to stay. Interesting. Yeah. It does district in our area. It's more about culture and feeling valued and being trained well, having your time respected, having a voice in all of the curriculum or the scope and sequence or the scheduling and all of this. It's never really about, I need more money. So we're all, we are able to offer more money. We are able to do things like that, but it's really about feeling like I'm honored and I'm valued and someone listened and I had a voice. And so it's fingerprints again, letting everybody have fingerprints on the big decision. So the stay interviews help a lot. And then we have what I might call our goal getters because every staff member has a goal for themselves. So we ask all of the staff, even if it's a nutrition worker or an after-school care part-time person, a teacher, where what are your personal goals, you know, five years from now? What can we help you with? And some of them will say, mm-hmm. I would really like my GED or I would, I would like to learn to speak English because we're in Texas. We have staff members who mm-hmm. English is first language. Some of them say, you know, I would really love to earn my master's degree or some of our paraprofessionals say, I would love to become actually a certified teacher. So we have invested yeah. a lot of time and financial resources in helping our staff achieve those goals. So knowing those goals of the staff, what's important to them and helping them get those goals because, um, and that does require an investment of finances, but I would rather spend the finances empowering and building the capacity of the staff that I already know they love the mission and vision of our schools, I already know their heart for kids, then spend that same money marketing and onboarding a whole new crew of teachers and staff every single year. So you're going to spend the money one way or the other. Spend the money on building the capacity of the people who've proven they believe the vision. 100%. Yeah. So that goal-getter idea, you know, that really reminds me of a book I read called uh, The Dream Manager by Matthew Kelly. But the idea was like, you know your people so well, and the hopes, aspirations, and dreams that they have, and where possible, you help them accomplish it. Even so, you know, maybe it's a person who who wants to move from paraprofessional to certified teacher. Maybe you don't pay for their program, but you could uh, write the letter of recommendation, right? You can put in a good word with the admissions team, and there's all, or you could just check in. Hey, Lisa, how's that going? Right exactly. with that stuff. How? So you know that that's oh, really cool. And, after school study groups, we'll help you. We'll tutor you. We've got hey, hey. principal helping tutor different staff members getting there prepared to go take their certification test. And I'll flash cards if we have to. We're going to help you meet this goal. And it's setting the, it's a role model for our students because mm. a lot of our students are, you know, we're about 97% economically disadvantaged. 27% of our students are experiencing homelessness. So for them to see that our teachers and our staff are overcoming barriers such as time or money or language or maybe a learning difference or any 
cultural difference that they have. We're helping them overcome any barriers that might stand in their way mm-hmm. to achieve their goals. It's directly impacting our kids as well. 100%. And then these state interviews, I've, this is a new idea. I've never heard of it before. Uh, uh, we've all heard of exit interviews. And so you're being proactive. I heard you target like the teachers or staff members that have the most influence, which makes a lot of sense. Because if you get them bought into continuing, right, they're going to encourage their peers to do the same. And most importantly, you're responsive. You actually do what they say where possible, right? So we're, we're going to maintain these things that are working well. And here's some areas, you know, for the system to, to grow. I might have missed it. So I apologize if I did. You have, a, you have an optional meeting that kind of goes over it all. Like here's basically mm-hmm. what people said. And what, what I wanted clarification on, during that meeting, do you say like, here's the feedback we received. This is what we can't commit to. Here's some things that unfortunately people want, but like it's out of, it's out of our reach for whatever reason. Do you? Yeah. Okay. We do because, and I think that's, an, I'm glad you asked it because it's important. Some people want to know why. If you can't do it, why not? And if they understand the why behind mm-hmm. it, they can accept the decision a lot more. So we've had just various things that teachers have asked over the years and we may not be able to do it, but we explain to them why they don't. And you wouldn't expect a teacher to understand the overall budget of a school and where all of the money goes and how much goes for just maintenance and operations versus, you know, can be expended sure. for salaries. So they're seeing, well, like you got these millions of dollars in ESSER. Can we all have a huge bonus? Well, we also have to address these other things with, it. you know, we need to yeah. do indoor air quality and busing. And, you know, so, so sometimes you sit down and talk about that. And they just need to understand the why. And for us, there are some things that we're not willing to negotiate on because we feel like that they don't have the return on investment for our students. But again, it all has, all of this is done because we want our students to grow and you have the experience they need, but you have to explain the why. And we've never really had anybody call out and say, I don't agree with that. I don't believe they truly just want to the communication and the transparency more than anything. Is what they want. Right. And you know, it's kind of, we tell our staff all the time the power of the positive phone call, right? I mean, how many principals or superintendents have said, make a positive phone call home to your kids' parents and build those positive relationships? But what are we doing to build those positive relationships with our staff and make sure they feel connected and they know what's going on as well? So that's another thing. If I can just throw this in, we've done, it's free. It just costs you your time. But if you're ever in a classroom serving a teacher and they just did a great job with something, ask them to pull out their phone and call somebody that they love, that they think will answer. Right then, like in front of their kids. And they'll pull out their phone. And I'm like, call your husband or your mom or your best friend. Get somebody that loves you on the phone right now and want to talk to them. And they kind of look at you like, okay. But they do it. And then you just get them on the phone and you say, hey, I'm their superintendent. I just want you to know, I just witnessed the most rock star literacy lesson. English is not their first language, but your wife or your sister, your whoever this is, just rocked this. And I know you're just as proud of her as we are. And I just wanted to take a second to say, mm-hmm. I am so proud of her and I hope she works here a long, long time. And then the kids are cheering in the background because they want to see <laughs> the teacher bought it. The teacher's crying. Yeah, yeah. You cannot buy culture by putting donuts in the break room or letting teachers wear jeans. Those things, are not going to change the culture of your campus. But those deep relationships and really recognizing that somebody may not have the data you want yet. They may not be that master teacher yet. But assuming that positive intent, they are soaking up everything you're pouring into them. Your kids are getting that return on the investment. 
make the phone call. Aviva will go, the principals will email me every month a list of teachers or staff members who've gone just above and beyond. So then I pull out their emergency contact from their HR file and I call that person right. at night and see there's no emergency. I'm not calling you for anything, but I just want to let you know you're listed in their files as somebody that's important to them. And I just want you to know how proud I am of them and give a specific mm. reason why. I get so many thank you emails like, oh my God, nobody ever. I've been in education 28 right. years. No one calls, yes. told my best friend that I was doing a great job before. But it means so much for the kids. Why wouldn't we make a phone call for the staff? It's free. It just takes your time. But now the teachers are starting to do that to each other. And after a recent... um Meeting we had with our full district, one of our sweetest teachers came to me and said, pull out your phone and call somebody that you love. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. So I called the board president. You know president. what's happening. I called yeah. the board president and she's like, hey, I'm here with Dr. Stanley. And she just told us, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just want you to know we love her and we hope you keep her around for a long, long time. And I'm like, so do I, because my contract's coming up in a couple of years. But it's catching on because the culture yeah. of noticing and recognizing it's not even about money. Notice to recognize. It's yeah. just recognize and reward right in the moment. Just right in the moment, let them know they did a great well, job. Well, yeah, last night I did a training on culture and what you're illustrating. Because it, and I, and I, I said, continue to do the food and like Absolutely. celebrate, right? But understand that at scale, that's not sustainable. And what really builds culture is consistency, right? And so the, what oh, yeah. we're talking about here, the stay interviews or the just these positive phone calls home that we do for students, do it for adults. It feels just as good. It's consistent culture building. And the last thing I, I forgot to highlight as well that I really appreciate about your model, it isn't always about the money and often it's not. And with, that got you on this show because I remember you saying that teachers will drive past higher paying districts and further from their own home to work with you because of the culture that you're building, right? And they're aligned with the values and how, you know, you make them feel. And through it all, it's really just about seeing and hearing your people, that they're not invisible, that they're not just a worker, right? There's so much right. more. And we're not we're, replacing. You do this. No, yeah. So brilliant. Awesome. Well, now's a great place to pause and get some messages in from our sponsors. When we get back, I'd love to ask you about your motto, which I love, over-serving the underserved. Absolutely. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. Leadership is joyful work, empowering others to do their best work. Principals do that with teachers and teachers do that with students and empowering others to educate themselves or to be educated is just one of the most important things we can do in this world. Building, We're building people. We're building the next generation of leaders and educators. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. What do you see in your classrooms and how did you see it? As a principal, you can't be everywhere at once. So how can you help support every teacher in the building? With TeachFX, teachers can gather their own feedback 
without relying on classroom observations. The TeachFX instructional coaching app is like giving every teacher their own instructional coach whenever they want it. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers. Visit teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to learn how. That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. As students progress through their K-12 experience, schoolwork only gets harder and more complex. Yet at the same time, students are asked to be more independent in their learning. Young people struggling with executive functioning skills will fall further and further behind. The pandemic, let's be real, it's only made things worse. The remedy is found in equipping students with executive functioning skills. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course, and it teaches you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set up your students for success. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go and start setting up your students for success today. Again, that's over at organizedbinder.com slash go. All right. So we're back with the culture like wizardess, like just the best at culture, Dr. Lisa Stanley. And I, I've, I've learned a lot in this show already. This has been great and I've been taking notes. So thank you for that. But you have a really compelling motto, right? To overserve the underserved. And can you just, you know, tell me what that looks like in the day to day? Sure. Like I said before, with our district demographics, we are about 97% economically disadvantaged and 98.5% of our students are considered at risk, according to state indicators. 27% of our students experiencing homelessness. And then as far as our ethnicity, we have a beautiful student body. Um, it's about 90% students of color, with Hispanic being first, and then African-American second, then two or more races, and then white. But just knowing some of the barriers our students face if they're experiencing homelessness or about a third of our students have a parent who is either currently incarcerated or was incarcerated within the last 24 months. So there are a lot of traditionally underserved students in this population. And we believe strongly that we should love first and teach second. And part of that love and over-serving them means we connect them to every possible resource and service we can find for the family. So we offer free counseling, not only for our students and for our staff, which is very important to take care of the teachers, offer free counseling and crisis support and life coaching for every member of the household. So a lot of our families have never been either through lack of medical coverage, finances, maybe they just don't know about different resources. So the school took that on ourselves and said, we will find a way to provide counseling to everybody in the household so that we can meet those needs. We over-serve them by making sure we have even grocery stores on our campuses where we provide free groceries, produce, meat, baby supplies, diapers, hygiene products, things that they may not always have access to. We're constantly finding ways we can over-serve this. You will never, ever regret going above and beyond for a student. I have never heard a teacher say, gosh, we're doing too much for these families. I mean, who else? Why are we providing counseling for everybody in the family? Why are we doing financial literacy classes for our parents so they can help build their credit and learn to buy their first home? Nobody's ever questioned, why are we over-serving them? Because it's impossible. You cannot over-serve a child. But this child is a member of a bigger household. And if we don't address the barriers the whole household is facing, we're not going to get full achievement from the students. So we feel very much like it is our duty and our responsibility to connect our families with as many resources as we can. And so that includes 
if the parent needs access to ESL classes or GED support or job skills, helping them write their resumes or how following taxes or anything like that. We offer all of that for free for our families. Number one, because they mm. deserve it. They're all valuable human beings who are unique and fearfully and wonderfully made and they deserve the help. But a school cannot just serve the kids that sit in its desk. We can't say we're going to serve them if they're in our desk, but they're not our responsibility. Otherwise, they're, the whole community is our responsibility. So you will never, ever regret over-serving and providing as much service as you can to a child because it's going to impact their whole family and for generations to come. We know we're planting deep, deep roots with our families because we want it to extend to the next generations as well. Absolutely. I love that idea, right? You'll never regret over-serving a student. And you know what? What is so funny, what you're talking about today, maybe my mind is just in this space, but also in last night's training, it was culture and systems level thinking. And what you're talking about here is systems level thinking, because it would be great if all you had to do is teach the kid that's in the classroom and just believe that they have all the resources, their life's perfect or whatever, but that's just not reality. And so you're saying, okay, we live in this complex system. There's a lot of moving parts. And so how do we provide resources to the family, to the or you know, the structure outside of just the classroom and the school so that kid that we ultimately do care about succeeds, right? So right. it could look like life coaching, it could look like literacy, you know, financial literacy and all the other uh, great things. I guess my follow-up question would just be, you know, uh, you don't have to go into great great detail, but I'm just curious like how do you go about setting up something like we provide Co- like coaching or, you know, uh, these services, right? For all our, our families, like how, like it just seems really hard to do. So make it seem easy for me. The benefit that I have is being 22 years with this district. I haven't been the superintendent for 22 years, but as a principal and then an assistant superintendent, and now I'm in my 12th year as the superintendent. So the benefit of that I have are strong, strong community connections. And so through, and the power of social media has been so great. So there is no shame in my game. I will literally reach out to any organization, any nonprofit and just say, this is what the families I'm serving need. How can you help us? And then we want to give back as well. So our students, every grade, every class at every campus from pre-K and up, I'll do community service because we want to also give back as well. But it's through deep connections with our community. And maybe the person at the United Way office can't help me with what I need, but she knows somebody at another agency that needs. So it's all really, to me, every relationship you have is either just a transaction or it's a transformation. You know, everybody you meet, just having a transit, we're just having a conversation. You're going to forget me tomorrow. But I want my conversations about our school to be transformational where you can't forget North Texas Collegiate Academy. When I talked to you and I told you what our kids needed and what we're willing to do for them, you're going to remember that. It's going to transform you. And you're going to hear about some other organization that offered something. And you're going to go, you know what? Call that girl over there because she wants this for her kids. So it's all yeah. about relationships and, and connections with the community. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And I just want to highlight a Facebook comment here. You know, uh, the person said, I once worked in a school where there were students who had one or more parents incarcerated. And sometimes it was difficult to get to help them also because of the biases, right? And so I just want to acknowledge, right, that that does exist, those biases and, um, you know, a uh, way to be a champion for for families and for students that, that need your support. All right. Well, Lisa, let's get to the last three questions I ask all my guests. 
And number sure. one, I want to hear about your uh, school marquee. So if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? My message um, on all marquees around the world, I think would be, there's a Zig Ziglar quote um, that says, children are our only hope for the future, but we yeah. are their only hope for their present. Yeah, I think that's a powerful reminder. We have to invest in our kids today because they are our hope for the future, but we are their hope for the present today. We are charged to do the best that we can for them every single day. Awesome. And Lisa, how would you build your dream school, right? In this thought experiment, you're not constrained by any resources. Your only limitation is your ability to imagine. So what would be the three guiding principles building this school? I'm not thinking so much about the physical structure of the school or what it would look like, but I think inside the school would be what's important. I mean, number one, I would fill it with a staff full of educators who love first and teach second. Everybody on the campus, every adult that's on that payroll would love the students and have deep relationships with them and teach second. They would believe in our mission that much. And number two, I would have a physical space for childcare for all of the staff. I think that sometimes a barrier Teachers shouldn't have to trade all of, you know, well, I want to work with these other, the next generation and train them, but I also miss time with my own family and my own kids. What if they could bring their babies to work with them and see them on their planning period or on their watch? I think my dream school would have a space for free childcare for all of the staff. And my third um, ideal school trait would be to have full family support where there's space for adult education. If you are re-entering citizen, just coming out of incarceration, how can we help you attain job skills? Get your ESL, your GED, help with your resume and job interviewing skills. It would be full family service for all the members of the household. Awesome. And uh, one more real quick Facebook comment. They said, has Dr. Lisa written any book on all the things that you've talked about today? Dr. Lisa has not written a book, but I do have a pretty significant Word document of about 500 pages that I just type on over the years. So whenever I get a minute, do I want to write a book? Uh, but because there's just, we've learned so many things by doing things the wrong way. But the benefit That's of true. 22 years is I learned from my own mistakes so we don't repeat them. Yeah. Uh, go right. forward. Awesome. Cool. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, Lisa. So what? Of everything we talked about, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? The one thing that I've learned just over the last few months myself is if you as a ruckus maker don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of the kids and the staff that are in your charge. Mm -hmm. So we're always so focused on the goal and meeting what the kids need and what the staff need that sometimes we put ourselves on the back burner and your family shouldn't be a secondary priority. Your health shouldn't be a secondary priority. You matter. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't continue to make a ruckus. So take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of everybody else. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. How would you like to lead with confidence, swap exhaustion for energy, turn your critics into cheerleaders, and so much more? The Ruckus Maker Mastermind is a world-class leadership program designed for growth-minded school leaders just like you. Go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind. Learn more about our program and fill out the application. We'll be in touch within 48 hours to talk how we can help you be even more effective. And by the way, we have cohorts that are diverse and mixed up. We also have cohorts just for women in leadership and a BIPOC only cohort as well. 
When you're ready to level up, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind and fill out the application. Thanks again for listening to the show. Bye for now and go make a ruckus.